0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom abrocha. I'm Avram Kivelevich, and this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim Irakaydish. Dr. Juni, um, even though some of us aren't going to the Beit Knesset, we're not going to the Shul, uh, we can't help but be aware of what has always been, in a sense, the communal conversation since the time, according to our traditions, the time of Moses himself and Moshe Rabbeinu, the institution of a reading that the Jewish people eventually started uh, uniformly accepting, which is throughout the week and especially on Shabbat, there is Jews gather and listen and debate and talk about here in a ceremonial way from the Torah itself, the stories of the Bible. The stories, and those of us, of course, are aware that in this period, we are reading the stories in Genesis of Bereshus. Or Shamsen Fahir famously said that just follow the Jewish calendar and there's morals and values. Uh, It doesn't have to be necessarily superficially imposed from the outside. We've already adapted that. And I think here, especially in these weeks, as we are sort of coming to the second half of the book of Genesis, as you are obviously very aware, the book slows down. And this week's Parsha, which is called Parshas Svayetze, Yaakov's leaving home, something that we've talked about, about the child leaving home and developing himself. What we also have is a slowdown. And from this point on, from Parshas Svayetze, till the end of the book of Genesis, what we really have is a detailed... Um, <coughs> insights, which are garnered, but a detailed description of this family, of this family, of how it was formed, how it was shaped, um, <clears throat> the different wives that Jacob, Yaakov, uh, is able to marry here in, in, in this week's Parsha, and the children that are born, Yaakov's insistence, in fact, of, of birthing children. We have Yaakov as someone who is, who is very much the patriarch, and we hear about the names of each of the children, of course, which become the 12 tribes. Now, one of the things, one of the challenges I think all of us have, me and you and any of us who are uh, towards in the mature area of our lives, is to take a look at these stories and look at them freshly and anew, not just dismiss them as things they already knew, been there and done that. And I think that, especially I think in a period of, of, of COVID, we probably want to look at these things in a different light in a new light in a light that's illuminating and therefore i was thinking that uh, and i hope many of our listeners feel the same way i want to look at these stories in a different way i want to look at this this the the sibling rivalry and the the issues that cropped up between joseph and his brothers when joseph and his brothers and even perhaps what was going on, the dynamic uh, in terms of <clears throat> the the order of when the how the children were born, as somehow uh, a, a way for us to look at that with the new glasses. The glasses of I know something that you are very familiar with, which is the science of birth order and how that affects uh, the personality and how affects how that can be a predictor of what is going to happen in the future. So. Um, I think that when one looks at these stories, let's talk especially about not just so much. Uh, let's say of Jacob, Yaakov, as might be, although he was a twin, he was a younger brother, and he was someone. And you've talked here on this program about your relationship with your older brother. Uh, Yaakov had an older brother, but then, of course, it gets even more complex when we talk about Yaakov's own children, where we have uh, the, the Torah emphasizing the story of a of a firstborn a Ruvain who seems to constantly fall on his face, who constantly seems to fail, who constantly seems to disappoint his father. And then we sort of have a second firstborn, a a Joseph. And we also have a Judah, a Yehuda, who emerges as a leader, although he is the fourthborn, a middle child. So I was hoping that that your wisdom and your understanding and your uh, familiarity with this, could perhaps start us off with a little bit of a perspective on these events that we have enshrined in our Bible, that has been enshrined there, that we see them, but, but to look at them in sort of in, a, in that modern psychological vein. So, why don't you give us some speculation, biblical speculation? So, let's start off with a little bit of biblical speculation and then perhaps move on to the theory itself.
1: So let me start again with thanking you for keeping this forum going with me. I appreciate it. And as usual, you bite off quite a chunk of reality. And what you've done now is taken all of developmental psychology and you want us to knock it off in 35 or 40 minutes which is difficult. So I'd like to decline your request partially. You're asking me to start with the biblical stuff and then move over into my expertise and and theory. Um, I am not very good at biblical interpretation, so I'd like to move to my theory first, and then once that's understood, maybe we can extrapolate, or maybe you'll extrapolate, and I'll kind of chime along to see where you take it in terms of the current parachute. So you mentioned the... uh, COVID. And what I see COVID is doing is bringing out very much the salience of interpersonal relationships, since essentially people are bereft of their escapes from relationships, especially within the family. They don't have work, they don't have a lot of leisure, and they're forced to stay with their loved ones in the crucible of relationships, which brings out the um, usually the problems because the charms. Um, wane after a little while. So it brings out the problems. So what I wanted to talk is essentially, you mentioned two things in terms of the parashiyot. You mentioned um, the parental um, relationships to the children, or the way I see it in terms of problem areas, is parental preferences for one over the other, which is a psychological travesty in terms of the effects on the children, both in terms of their self-esteem development and in terms of their relationships in the future, because there is always the feeling of um, in, inequality between them and feelings of being aggrieved or having been stepping on their toes, which I don't want to talk about. But I do want to talk about our, um, the relationships among siblings. So here's what I'm going to do um, I'm going to start, well, I'm going to start with a theory basically from Alfred Adler. Um, which derives from Freudian psychoanalytic theory. So Alfred Adler um, was a star student of Freud's before he broke away, as many of his Freud's star students did because of Freud's inability to deal with his underlings, which goes back to the way the others dealt with their children differentially. So Freud had a problem with that. But Freud's basic theory was that um, human beings are not born ready to run from the get-go. They need a certain amount of growing up in a safe family environment. And his idea was based on the development of the body, or the way it's translated from the German, sexual development. What it really means is that as the child develops, the child is pre-programmed to go through various kinds of conflict areas, dealing with his own needs, and that the child mastering these particular conflicts serve as the template for all future abilities dealing with the environment and with other people so in freud's uh, terminology by time about you're about 5 or 6 you've gone through all the basic conflicts and that becomes your template uh, alfred adler was not happy with that as were most of freud's students who ultimately broke away and alfred adler came up with a totally new paradigm again Growing up is important. It's important as a way of acculturating the child to become an adult. But what he saw as most crucial was the element of living, which has to do with the interpersonal relationships that people have with their peers, not with parents, not with authority figures. The main notion is that you have a family. Walter Thoman, who's the star student of Alfred Adler, calls it a family constellation. And that consists essentially of the cohort of siblings. So to simplify it, let's say you have two siblings, which means you have an older child, you have a younger child. It's the relationship, the problems, and the resolutions that these two people have with each other that forms their template for future functionings in other interpersonal settings, which translates into society. So to start with a simple paradigm, you have a younger child and an older child. The older child is obviously further ahead than the younger child, which puts him politically, which means the, the power constellation, puts him, the older child, I'm sorry, saying him, puts the older child in a position of mastery, in a position of leadership, and puts the younger child in a position of being subservient and following and having to deal with the reality that's there. And that's two of the cardinal personality traits that's posited by Adler and then later by Tolman, as those are two basic personality constellations. You're either a leader, a pusher, arounder, a dominant person, or you're a follower, one who does not originate with ideas, but makes the best of what's given to him. So that's the basic template that's there. Um, the way Adler sees it, these personality traits are immutable. In other words, you start with that, and that's the way you will function forever in all relationships. Which means that you better find yourself situations that are conducive for you to perform the role that you're used to in your early childhood. We're okay with that so far, right?
0: Yes, sure. I'm 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 listening in rapt attention, and I'm. Okay. I, I, okay. I, I, unlike you, I'm not taking notes about my points back to you, but I do have. I, I am going to probably uh, get you in your uncomfortable zone and talk to you about how these principles sure. are going to relate to our to our biblical heroes. But go ahead.
1: Let me. Okay. So now there is an added caveat, and that's the middle child. All right. So whereas, let's say, the older child never really learns in terms of his peer cohort in this training session, this childhood, how to deal with a situation where he's pushed around by peers or he has to follow the the directions of other peers, whether he likes it or not. And the younger child is never put into a situation where he he or she can possibly be a leader. There's the middle child. And the middle child essentially is almost like a universal donor. In other words, he or she can relate to being pushed around and he or she can relate to pushing others around. So, in a sense, the middle child is really the most adaptable in terms of interpersonal relationships. So, that's a, those are the three major markers of personality that exist. Um, there is a certain um, theory of social psychology which talks about compatibility. Primarily, it came up in marriages, but it's been extended to friendships as well. So let's just think about marriages as an element, because that probably will cause the most, um, uh, shall we say, provocation in this discussion. So in a marital relationship, it makes sense that you have um, the roles of people being complementary, not equal. In other words, if you think of matching up people in terms of a long-lasting marital relationship when it comes to abilities or attitudes, it makes sense that they should be similar. When it comes to roles, which are interpersonal roles, which ultimately is the harbinger of how these people relate to each other, you want it to be complementary with an E, not with an I, which means you want them to kind of fit into each other's roles. So you want, say, a dominant one matched up with a submissive one. Just like if you want to go into pathology, the best shidduch is a sadist and a masochist. One likes hurting people and one likes being hurt. So that kind of works. So the ideal shidduch then is a dominant and a submissive person, really meaning an oldest sibling or a younger sibling. Of course, we can substitute any one of those with a middle child, because the middle child knows how to play it both ways. Or you can even match up two middle children, where nobody has to be dominant or submissive. So you might say, so maybe if I'm a shadchan and I know um, Adlerian theory, I might say, let me first do the easy ones. I'm going to set up only middle children. I'm not even going to bother with older children or younger children because they're going to have trouble if I mismatch them. And the answer is that it will work. Middle children can get along with anybody. But what's missing, basically, is the glue magnetism. In other words, somebody who is a sadist can get along with somebody who is not a sadist. Okay? He can't get along with another sadist because they'll be busy throwing barbs at each other. But when he finds a masochist, it kind of clicks into place and there's a glue there. So I would say that it's very hard to break up a sadist from a masochist. It's much easier to break up a sadist from somebody who's not a sadist. So by the same definition, let me just finish this thought. Um, You can find that if an older child and a younger child get together, they will feed off each other in a way that's reminiscent of their old roles and you won't take them apart even if an atom bomb explodes next to them. But if you get a middle child and a middle child, yeah, they can get along. But if things go rough, this is not being held together by any kind of um, iconic uh, personality stamp. Them. It's happenstance. I say, yeah, I can go on somewhere else. I see you want to say something, please.
0: Okay. Right. Well, that's good. That's part of the great magic of the image where it isn't just us talking on the telephone. Um Yeah, well, first of all, I think that, uh, you know, before I uh, give you sort of like the rabbinic um, biblical uh, perspective and and, and wondering how this meshes, I think that what you are saying uh, needs to not only go back to our past so we can study the past and understand it, but also it should be one of the uh, algorithms or one of the uh, ideas that is That is behind many of the Jewish matchmaking services. Now, you know, one of the things I've talked about in COVID and some of our other podcast shows, some of our guests are, should this be a period where uh, couples still begin the process of meeting, of finding each other, even though social distancing is sometimes going to limit them. So the, the, the programs like Why You Connect, uh, J-Swipe, or even some of the non-Jewish programs of Harmony and, and others, probably instead of looking as much at the resumes about things that you like and what your hashgoth or outlook are or how you think about what sort of tablecloths you have in your house and what sort of shirts you would want your husband to wear or the length of the skirts, it seems like part of it should also be where you are in birth order, according to you. Uh, That should also be, uh, since you are convinced that it is indeed not ironclad as much as you're a Freudian student, sounds like you're very much embraced uh, Adler's approach. So according to you, that should really be a much greater factor in in terms of setting people up. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't always, I don't think it's even part right now, Dr. J, of, uh, of, of what these programs are about. They they set them up based on certain checklists. And what if, if, if you match on 60%, that's the shidduch that's being offered. According to you, uh, some of those shidduch are, 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 are destined to fail because you've got the wrong, uh, for example, you've got um, two oldest children and that's just going to be a lot of squabbling, right? The two oldest children is going to be a lot of squabbling. Correct, and even the middle children, two middle children together, might also not be as, as 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 positive as having an oldest and a youngest child, right? So if you want success and get that shadchanis money, and you want a sholom al yisrael, so to speak, it seems like there, uh, what you're saying, should also be adapted um, in those areas, and I don't th- I don't think it's being done. So
1: yes, okay. So again, it's understand that my belief, aside from my uh, practice with a lot of people who are disordered primarily, my belief is based on personality theory, and that's something that's not very popular these days. In, in, in the days of, of um, uh, self-agency, self-determination, it is not hip, it is not PC to think of people as having a personality which basically dictates their life rather than overt conscious decisions that they want to make. Which is a nice ideal. I don't think it's real. It's not real at all. Otherwise, I'd be totally out of business, and I'm not out of business by the way. Chad.
0: Okay. So, so very,
1: what's happening is that yeah. if you assume that personality steers you in a certain direction, it certainly is a good idea to look at what's happening here. And very often, I can almost predict when a couple comes in, I just ask, you know, your position, the family, I can predict what the problem is, you know, and I, I don't like to impress people by having a crystal ball, but I can almost. Write out the chart for them before they tell me anything. Let me just mention one other thing. There's another st- uh, personality type, which is an only child. All right? And basically, the uh, attitude of personality theorists, uh, when it comes to an older child, try to throw the book away before they even start. Because essentially, they are not trained in their childhood. They never had the experience of relating to an other peer. So when it comes to someone else, it's either they can be president of the United States where they don't have to relate to any peers at all, but other than being president of the United States or a corporation, um, they will not be able to work together with anybody because they're not used to it. They're not there at all. So that's kind of an interesting caveat. I need to add an other level, all right? And that has to do with um, sexual stereotypes in that uh, let's talk about not in the very hip cultures, but in the cultures out west and out south, or among people who have like basic, shall we say, Judeo-Christian values, there's a general notion that men are the ones who wear the pants, and not women. What that really means is that we have to qualify the shirich or the matching aspect of an older with the younger, and to say that it will work so long as the older is the brother of younger sisters, And the younger is the sister of older brothers, which means they are used to dealing with somebody of the opposite gender, which is another facet that I forgot to mention, that if you grow up, a man grows up with only boys, they're going to have a hard time relating to girls, even if they get to know girls later, because in their basic personality functioning, they are not used to dealing with sugar and spice. All right? Just like a girl who grows up with only sisters is not used to dealing with frogs and what, I don't know what the stereotype is for men, but essentially it's a strange being. What you want is a familiarity, but a familiarity you can relate to. So if you want to have the ideal shiruch, it's the older brother of younger sisters, who is essentially used to pushing girls around, if you want to be very prost and coarse over here, matched up with the younger sister of older brothers, who is used to be pushing around, pushed around by people with pants. Okay? So I'm going to give you a little example just to make this familiar. All right? I am a younger brother. I am married to a girl who is the oldest sister. All right? My wife is the oldest sister of a brother. So she is ideal in terms of a shidduch with a young somebody who is a younger brother. Now, it would have been much nicer if I had been the younger brother of an older sister because then I'm used to be pushed around by, by figures. But I'm not. So our shidduch is like three quarters there. <laughs> but the, the, the payoff is that, for instance, my wife has always had a much higher position than I had. She has earned much more. Um, she doesn't wear pants because we're orthodox, but she is quite the leader in the relationship. And I can tell you that when it came to PTAs, um, I'm the one who went. And when it was, came to taking the kids to the orthodontist, my wife does not even know where the orthodontist for our kids lived. And we have the, a couple of kids who went through the entire orthodontry. So I would take them. I would actually act as mostly the cook in the house. So the roles got messed up in terms of um, sexual stereotypes, but they worked out in terms of the primary personality relationship. that's there. But it's not ideal. If it would have been a great shot for me, um, <laughs> A great shatchan, well, there can't be a great shatchan because my wife was the oldest. So right away, that puts her in the position of authority and not authority because she's a uh, woman. I am the youngest. So it's right away a problem because I'm also a male, assuming I'm getting into a heterosexual relationship. It's much easier when we do homosexual relationships. (laughs) I've had classes like that. But in heterosexual relationship, this is not good. The ideal person you want to have for a shudder is find an older brother of younger sisters, and find a younger sister of older brothers, and it'll be like Shalom al Israel, or at least there'll be a match made in heaven in terms of longevity. They'll have other problems maybe if other things come up, if there are problems in attitudes, or or perhaps some of them have some um, untoward ideas about life and liberty and pursuit of happiness, but that is the stereotype that's there.
0: So, you know, clearly, you know, many people are listening to this and you know, we have a, a wide spectrum of people that are our uh, fans, I guess, or people who are downloading and listening. And I think some of them are going to take umbrage as what you are referring to as a certain determinism that can't be avoided. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be their champion, but I am going to push back a little bit and cite a couple of examples. And let's talk, you know, getting back to my area um, and, all again, the, basically most Jewish uh, thinkers who are thinking about the stories that sort of shape our history, let me throw you out a couple of possibilities here. Let's first talk about uh, – and before I, I, I give you these examples, one thing I, – I, it, it's clear from you that as much as many people believe, and I'm not sure – I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth and say it's this – shita or that shita, but many people sort of have an assumption, it's what parents do to the children, how the parents, as you said, you alluded to before, favor one child over the other, the way the parents doted on one and not the other, or the parents dealt with one that's going to determine that person's life, you are saying that that's not an inconsequential factor, but what's much more crucial is the way they interact with each other, the siblings, the peers, right? This is something- I, may,
1: I may just interject, the parental preferential treatment is important insofar as it then influences or determines the um, child's ability or inability to relate to peers, i.e. siblings. So it's a, it's it's there through a medium. But the parental um, attitudes themselves can be harmful, but they don't really mess up the personality of the child. And again, I'm Freudian. I, I'm being unapologetic about that. Okay. And you can throw that out at your own peril.
0: Okay, so, so first of all, let me – before we get to the biblical people, the, the principle is is that the p- field of play where the personality is mostly formed and it's given its uh, place, the sandbox, so to speak, where the personality develops and determines, is within the relationship between the siblings, assuming that there are going to be some multiple children. Besides. Okay, Besides. now the parents have a role. For example, let's say if if a parent – uh, even though, let's say, their younger child, they give over the message that the younger child should be more dominant, and they um, uh, browbeat the older child and make the older child feel uh, less significant. So you could have a flip, even in your principle, where the younger yes. child the younger child, sort of artificially takes on that role because... The parents the that, had, go ahead.
1: I see what happens without parents if one of the children is just weakly endowed. If the the older child is sick and needs to be taken care of, then by definition, the younger child becomes dominant. And when you look at the personality of the hopefully recovered older child, he will take the role of the submissive one because that's how he grew up. So it's not really the age. It's the question of the experience of dominance in childhood that stamps your personality. So sure, the parents can still that if they decide to flip the, uh, you know, cross
0: their hands, so to speak, and bless one over the other. So I'm uh, so I'm going to g- again because I've been promising to do this and I better do it before we run out of time. Let's talk about Ruvain, for example. So Ruvain is here. This I mentioned him before as this failed firstborn. So he's someone, and can at the end of Jacob at the end of the book of Genesis uh, sort of uh, mentions this his his disappointment with Ruvain. and he talks about him, you know, being so rash and um, etc. And how he sort of even towards the end End of his life, Reuven couldn't get a break. So here you have an oldest child, the first child of, of, of their relationship, um, seemingly wanting to do the right thing, but being pushed in the background. What happens is is that Judah uh, seems to become the leader. I'm talking about Joseph right now. I'm talking about Reuven, uh, Reuben uh, and, and Judah, Reuven and Yehuda. So let's talk about that just for a second. Here's Ruvain, who's you know we don't know uh how his parents treated him <clears throat> but the the bible definitely gives us ample description of a failed firstborn and and indicates that the life experience of judah uh, especially in his relationship as a, as a, as a parent later sort of elevate him to a spokesman and the person who represents the family more than others let me just make one more point on this it would seem to me dr j that a firstborn wouldn't necessarily be so dominant if he felt the incredible weight of the parents on him. If the parents kept on indoctrinating him as to this is what our family is about, this is what you must do, the firstborn, although in an artificial way as a leader, in many ways as a follower, and can't think outside of the box in terms of real leadership and direction. He's basically just, you know, uh, you know he's, jawohl, Herr Kommandant, because the parents are telling him how important what he is is doing. So even though there's a straw man, a leader there, but there's someone who can't really adapt. So to me, that might be a way, that might've been what was happening with Ruvain. Go ahead. Okay, so I have two points.
1: First of all, um, there's no doubt in my mind that this is an ideal template for what happens with siblings when they have the extra support of the parent to, the, to disrupt the, the balance. I just have to say that technically speaking, this formulation is supposed to close past curtains by the time child is over. So I'm not really sure when all these events happened in the Torah. The second point I wanted to make was that you mentioned like being able to think out of the box. Thinking out of the box is not a skill of the firstborns. Thinking out of the box is a skill of the younger borns or the middle child because they have to come up with novel, um, tricky, smokescreen ways to usurp the leadership that's kind of given to them. So thinking out of the box is not a skill of leadership. It's a skill of subversion, it's a skill of being able to pull rabbits out and to blind the um, the older one and make it around him. So, sure, if that's how you define Yehuda's leadership, I would call him the younger child who has managed to outwit the dim-witted older child.
0: And, and that is how he, uh, and then he gets the respect of the whole, you know, oh, of, sure. of the whole group.
1: So once you slay the dragon, or once you manage to do something against the leader, then the proletariat follows, Sure, or it, the rest it, of the siblings follow. You know,
0: and, I, and I would add to this, and something which you haven't really mentioned, because, you know, you're dealing almost with stick figures in terms of how they look. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, <clears throat> putting these images on the board, X's and O's. I think one can't deny the physical... Uh, uh, prominence of each person. Uh, the Medrash tells us about Yehuda's great strength. The Medrash seems to imply he was a person of of, of of a certain overbearing quality just in terms of his physical presence. And I think that could also play a role as to why he was elevated to leadership. He was bigger, taller, stronger. Doesn't, and, 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 and we well, can't an help...
1: example I gave you um, if, let's say, the older is actually sick. If the older is in the wheelchair, he he or she does not get the automatic authority, and he will, in terms of personality traits, be the younger, so to speak. Well, and he uh, will gravitate in his adult life towards a position where someone else has the position of leadership, because he's not used to it.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, well, anyway, just again, throw a little rabbinical spice here, a biblical spice here. We have Simeon and Levi, of course, <clears throat> Levi, Shimon and Levi, who are in the middle, who sort of, you know, uh, again, there's four children, the four children of Leah, Ruven Shimon, uh, the first four children. It's interesting that Simeon and Levi also earn their father's ire and do go along. They have interesting careers historically about their tribes, but they are also, in a way, uh, they acted sort of in a, if you want to talk about out of the box, we know in, in next week's Torah reading, they are the uh, ones who come up with the idea of of how to win a war and basically massacre uh, a, a, a threat that was that had. Using is- stick, using stick. Right. and But Jacob, Yaakov, relates to them and says, you know, I'm not happy with this shtick. And they sort of also lose their prominence. And then number four, Judah, is like the, the one who reaps the benefit. So you perhaps have root. Default. perhaps he's a default. But he definitely rises to the occasion, of course, everyone. And again, I am not and I know there's many people listen to this and says that, you know, Kivalevich is just talking about these figures that I don't even believe existed and are only uh, sort of like uh, legendary characters that the authors of the Bible uh, wrote about. Again, obviously, I don't come from that perspective. I view them as real human beings and, and models for us in our studies to maybe realize uh, what we, what's happening with us ourselves. So yeah, so we can have Ruven as the failed before, Shimon and Levi as, uh, as you say, the Stickmachers who earned their father's ire and therefore went too far in what they were trying to do. And then Judah who sort of learns from their mistakes has this physical prominence and does seem to have certain natural gifts of speaking. So therefore he becomes the leader And and what's more interesting, I think, is that for those who are biblical critics, the story is really meant to justify why eventually, from the Jewish perspective, all kings come from Judah. Somehow Judah in his life is somehow the template of what a leader should be, which, again, I think is interesting based on what you're saying. So go ahead. I know that you have a response to this.
1: I just want to interject two items. First of all, as far as I know, there is no reference to Judah's leadership until after the encounter with Yosef. And what's remarkable is that Judah is able to summon up some kind of strength and basically challenge a ruler. Okay? I am not sure that uh, an older one, an older sibling would be able to do that. I think a younger sibling is much more mesugal, much more capable of upsetting an apple cart by coming up a way of challenging some challenging somebody who was there. And if I again if I want to wax biblical, I'm not good at this, but I can try. Um basically the kingdom of Israel was destined to be a kingdom where you're constantly um combating powerful forces all around you. I think being the younger, being the leader who knows how to do shtick and knows how to work around a power structure, like run circles around someone, might be more suitable than a straightforward Ruvain would have been. And maybe Yaakov, if he was prescient and saw what was coming up, said we need out-of-the-box leadership here. We can't just have brute authority coming across and saying... I'm it because on the other side, that's another family with its own brute authority which gives you no more than a 50-50 chance of making it. Whereas if you're a guerrilla fighter with all kinds of surprise pitfalls and traps for the fellow, you have a much better way of getting there. But don't think I'm a rabbi because yeah. I
0: ain't. Okay, well, the, you know, you definitely, you know, we know that the Hanukkah season is upon us, and of course, guerrilla warfare was uh, perfected, I guess, by the Chashmonaim, and th- those they always have uh, provided, especially for you in Israel, as sort of like the model of what the Israelis have been. The Israelis always have a great affinity to those battlers of Hanukkah, going up against a greater uh, odds and huge armies. And that is sort of that guerrilla fighting, which again, it's it, it, this is all very um, speculative, but it do, it did come from a tribe. If you want to say that the tribe Im, <laughs> imprints its original progenitor uh, on them, it came from the tribe of Levi of Levi, who of course is a middle child and a younger child, and as you say, a stickmacher. Let's talk a little bit about Joseph, who is sort of like a firstborn in another way, right? Joseph, who is the leader you mentioned before, who Judah has to summons up strength, and I don't think he was, uh, he actually, the, the, the there is one of the most beautiful, you know, Sir Walter Scott um, w- waxed uh, poetically about the incredible power of Judah's statement um, to Joseph, um, uh, which is uh, later here in, in the book of Genesis, and Judah st- really argues and uh, shows incredible nobility. Um, but Joseph was also, in a way, a, a youngest child, but in a way, a firstborn. So, you know, in a monogamous relationship where there's only one wife, uh, it's one way, but let's say you have various wives. Does Joseph indicate that you can have a firstborn? You know, each little unit can be a firstborn, even though there's one, the father. But within Joseph's unit with Rachel, uh, as a as a son of Rochel, so he becomes a firstborn too. And you you'd have to own up to that as well, right? In other words, a person who who creates a second family, a person who marries another wife, it starts over again. And maybe Joseph is proof to that as well. I, what I'm saying, I think, is very simple. But I think you'd agree to that that Joseph is more a firstborn than he is a a youngest child, or is he? You tell me.
1: Sure, and bifurcated families, like in the Arab cultures that I'm familiar with, you actually have a split in personality. It's almost like you develop alternate personalities, because you are, let's say, the firstborn in your insular family, which is because the family usually lives at the mother's and the father visits. But then there's a a greater family, because there are some gatherings where everybody gets together. And there, you're lower on the totem pole. So essentially, I'd say you almost become a middle child because not because you're middle, but because you get a chance to play each role. You can actually play the older one and the youngest. So, I mean, your intuitive leap there is quite solid. I've never really, like, explored um, Walter toman's theory within the Arab culture. I mean, very little of it, but not enough to be able to talk about, like, maybe four cases. So, I don't know yeah. if I can uh-huh. say it extensively, but yes, you're following through with the theory quite well,
0: sure. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about going back to marital relationships and, and again, using the Bible as, as a template. And even though, again, I I keep on apologizing to our uh, athe- people who are atheistic or, 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 or critical or, or come from a different religion. But again, I'm just using it as a template. We know that uh, one of the things that the stories of Genesis teach us is about marital strife and uh, interrelationships. So we have... Uh, Jacob, who, let's say, although he is a twin, clearly is considered the younger child, right? He definitely was a younger child, even though... He was the weaker.
1: That's good enough. He was the weaker.
0: Right. Once you're
1: physically weaker, you're the younger.
0: Right. So he was the younger child, and and even the name Jacob, which has to do with being crooked and tricky and things like that, really align very much.
1: What's with... subsidiary? It also means subsidiary, like
0: right. A heel. Right, right, yeah, very good. You see, you are more of a rabbi than you say yes. you aren't. Okay, so Jacob, the trickster, Jacob, the heel, Jacob, the one who is who needs to push to get ahead, very much a younger child uh, by, uh, image. Jacob's marriage. Which is really the, the the topic of this specific reading? We're going to be reading uh, this week. Hmm. Let's see. There's Rachel and Leah, Rachel and Leah. Okay, Leah is clearly the older one, and then there is Rachel. Okay, Doctor J, who should he have? Who is the better match for him? He's a younger child, and we don't know that Laban, Lavan Lovin has any uh, older any older brothers. Uh, have the older sons, so. We, let's assume that Leah is the older and Rachel's the younger. Who should he marry? Um, I would say neither
1: because neither had an older brother. So uh, they aren't used to being in the position of athari. And you can see that they, um, I mean, definitely Leah ran circles around him, which is expected because she uh, comes from a position of power. I'm not quite sure what his relationship was with Rachel was like. I know that he he loved her a lot, but I'm not really sure how she dealt with it. I mean, just reading from the way it is, um, he definitely decided to favor Rachel's son over Leah's son. So uh, that's disruptive, but I'm not really sure if... um.
0: Well, was the, the bible tells us about an argument they have she she the, you know, the, the bible gives us and again this is a kivilevich uh, original but wherever there is narrative in the bible it's very significant but even more significant is dialogue dialogue is ultra significant when we hear biblical characters speak we are meant to prick up our ears and say, "What are they saying? Are they talking to each other now? It's not just the omniscient narrator speaking. We have a description of these two talking." Yeah, so we have a description of actual words where um, you know Rochel it says Vatikade Rochel b'achota. got was jealous of her sister, and she speaks to her her lover Yaakov, her husband give me children, and if you don't, I think I'm dying. And we have this doesn't seem to be positive. Vayikar af Yaakov Yakov gets angry, filled with anger at her. Am I God Asher Mona Mimech Voten? It's you who can't have children. Am I the one who did that? And of course, she comes up with a with an idea, which is to, for Yaakov to cohabit with her uh, with her maid servant Bilhah. But you do have this description of anger between them. Now, with Leah, his first wife, we know that she was hated, but we don't have any 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 uh uh we don't have any dialogue description of what was going on between them. So. Again, okay, you're sitting back here as a marriage counselor. Uh, what could explain this, this explosion of anger between Yaakov and, and, and Rochel? I mean, they both are screaming at each other. Is that normal? Well, well
1: R- Rachel is essentially doing her thing. She's doing her petulant younger child complaining, right? Yaakov, the way, I mean, he should react, according to Adlerian theory, should be that he's totally out of sorts because she is asking him to take a position of managing, let alone managing something that's beyond them, just a position of management. He's saying, no, I'm a Tam, Yosha Vahalam, leave me alone. I want to go sit with my books and, and and meditate. I'm not someone who can take and move around things and change them where they are. So essentially, this is a mismatch of having two younger children where you had like two, two, let's say, two submissive people waiting at a door each wanting the other to open the door and nobody will, they'll never go through that door. So here it is, Rachel asking him to be the older person and he's saying, yeah, it's not my role.
0: I think that, see, isn't this great? So it looks like we have accomplished something in terms of understanding that verse. I would say even in a a very, as much as he emotionally carried an incredible um, feeling for her and, and, and favored her, and loved her, which probably wasn't the greatest uh, model for what a person should show to children, that if one wife was favored more than the other, I'm just taking this even to next week's reading, where they actually argue about the name of their child, uh, Benjamin, of course, that uh, uh, as she's dying, uh, uh, Rachel gives over the name of her child. And, and Jacob, of course, disagrees they're disagreeing even with her last life breath if you think about it right (laughs) so there's i think there's something there about uh being careful about the two younger children getting together um so really it should have really worked out better with leia then right yes it would have worked out
1: better with leia if they were willing to violate the understanding that the husband has to be in charge if he would have let Leia being charged, it would have worked out well, but I don't know if it would have worked well with the mores of their, contempt of their society. I wanted to add one more point. There is a, um, a follow-up to Adlerian theory which has to do with pathology within the family relating to parents' relationship to their kids, and that's one of identification. What often happens is that we tend to identify with people who have a similar makeup that we do. So for instance, if you are a parent, who is a younger parent, you're going to favor your younger children over your older ones because the older ones were your nemesis, so to speak, when you grew up. So I'm thinking if you want to really stretch this and make an Adlerian, you know, um, um, five books of Moses over here, what you can say is that Yaakov deliberately did not, favor Reuven because Reuven reminded him so much of his oppressor Esau. He's the younger person, so he's going to go down the line. Very good. For, I don't know if that's sensical or not.
0: No, no, it actually fits in with the Midrashic interpretation that when Leah uh, gives birth to Ruvain, part of what she means with the word Reuven, which means look at my son, she was trying to hold him as a model Versus Asaph, and she said, "Look, my son is not like Asaph." So clearly, there was this idea he is like Asaph. In other words, there was some there was some sense that this will be a good firstborn, not like that other firstborn. Now, I, I want to now push you, Dr. J, into another uncomfortable place for you, and I'm happy that uh, although I I am clearly your submissive partner in this podcast. But I will definitely, I, I'm happy that I could like outfox you in some way and push you into something maybe you don't want to talk about, which is what America is seeming extracting itself out of right now, which is uh, settling and, and, and realizing uh, J- that Joe Biden is going to be the next president and even Donald Trump himself has uh, admitted so much. So let me just get your, your, your input here since we're entering the Biden era. In the United States, and we know the president's influence over the whole world. Uh, Biden is a firstborn; uh, he is actually the firstborn of, of of his of his family, named after his father, who was Joe Biden Sr. He's Joseph Robin and Biden Jr. Will the fact that he's a firstborn give us any prediction about how he will lead? Yes,
1: um, firstborns do not need to make any splashes; they come with a mandate of their own personality. Like, they are leaders, they are, they've been trained to be leaders in childhood, so you don't have to anticipate shtick and crazy stuff going on. Somebody like Trump, who is not the firstborn, can only make it if he makes a splash. If he, I mean, I'm speaking a bit by introspecting myself, because I know my own career, as compared to my brother's, has been one of making splashes. You know, Somebody that my brother did not need to make splashes because he had the mantle there to begin with. So I think you can expect less erratic stuff with the, uh, shall we say, uh, malevolent and not so kind um, uh, um, attribution that some of Trump's um, policies or actions had to do with just being an ipchemistabra, just being someone to show, hey, You think that's what it is? I will show you something else. So I think you can expect some more stability. That being said, I have to say, as a Jew and as someone who was Zionist and loves Israel, I don't necessarily welcome that because his straightforward approach may mean negative dividends towards the the comfort and the safety of Israel and that Trump, because of his shtick and because of his innovations, turned over a lot of these so-called international wisdom to favor us who are, again, younger position, more being beaten up. And whereas the unfortunate leftist trend now, uh, which Biden is at least paying lip service to, is to hold, to um, basically hold Israel's feet to the fire to make them conform to the leftist particular view of what justice is supposed to be. So that's my my political sophistication. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy that you know that you have your your glasses as as a lover of Israel was actually a, a new citizen of Israel, right? I think you I think you have citizenship now. I think you went on Nefesh Nefesh, right? Aren't you an Israeli citizen now? Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. But I've been Jewish much before that. And I've
0: been I, hard. No, no, I understand. And
1: I'm but, a supporter and concerned about Israel much
0: before. No, I, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is that Okay, uh,
1: I'm just joshing.
0: Yes, no, from your perspective, of course, and, and, and I have had that, believe me, I, I bleed Eretz Yisrael as well, and, and the Medina Yisrael, and my son fought in the army, my son lives there. So believe me, I, I am with you as far as that goes. And um, despite my abhorrence for Trump and his personality, but but I think that in a period like COVID, which is where sort of where you know I, I mentioned before, um, we started how we look to we look to the Parsha for stability. We look to the stories to to make us feel good, to give us a sense of familiarity. I think part of what COVID was was uh, we know it's out there and it's terrible. Maybe what we need in, in a leader is someone who doesn't rock the boat. Maybe we need a firstborn who isn't going to be. Doing things that are shticky, but rather conforming. And you
1: do know to... that firstborns are overly represented among the presidents. The proportion uh, overly represented, and some onlyborns as well, which makes sense. Yeah,
0: Only siblings, right? Which is what you said before. And I think you know Barack Obama was a firstborn, I believe, and uh, and maybe that's part of what, uh, based on this Adlerian theory, that could really explain why people gravitated one of the things that biden despite all his flaws uh might have uh, gravitated towards that he does really exhibit some of that firstborn mentality which might be something that the, the, the stability. stability stability which is what the world wants i think at this time well thank you dr j for going out of your comfort zone a little bit and giving us really a, a, a great perspective on uh, you know, this this sort of a deterministic, but probably, as, as you've said, you could predict it, and you've seen it in your practice, that it works all, it almost works all the time in that way. So um, good luck. Uh, I know, uh, continuing in your submissive uh, fashion of having Esther run the show, and uh, I know that you, you're doing a great job as far as that goes. And uh, we'll see you, Mitzvah Shem, um, I hope, uh, next week with another edition of